We are in John chapter 1, John's prologue, and we've been spending this entire Advent season here, and it's been sweet for my soul, for your soul, to just pause and breathe and dwell in these rich words about Jesus and who he is and what he came to do, and we will continue learning at his feet in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Hear God's word. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray together. Lord, what a promise that there is adoption to be had in Jesus to name God as our Father and to be siblings in this bright and glorious kingdom of light and life. I pray that we would understand it and celebrate it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, sometimes when I preach, since I've been doing it for a while, I like to preach like avant-garde sermons with twists and turns and surprises and, and flourish artistically. But this morning when we get to John's prologue, I feel the burden of clarity here this morning. Like this is a passage that we just need to lay bare before us. And if we are a believer here this morning, if we have trusted in Christ for our salvation, we need to see and hear and feel again the weight of what it is that we have received. And if we're not a born again believer and we don't know what we're talking about here, somebody drug us here this morning, we need to see and hear and feel the weight of what is being offered to us in Christ. So this morning as we approach this paragraph, we are going to see a universal invitation followed by a partial rejection and then a happy acceptance of this gospel. We're gonna see each of those in our passage and we're gonna begin with the first one, this universal invitation given and offered to all. You know, when you think about it, especially around Christmas time, we got a bunch of parties happening. Most parties have a guest list, right? Most parties, you have a host and they decided who they want to spend time with and those are the people that they invited to their party. And so we go to the parties that we've been invited to. But every once in a while, you know, you got a friend who says, hey, I'm going to this party. I don't really want to go. Will you go with me? And it's like, well, I wasn't invited. Hey, don't worry about it. It's laid back. You can go. And you go with them. And the moment the host opened the door, you knew it was the wrong decision. Because they kind of like, oh, you're here. Great. Like, so good to have you. Come on in, you know. And it's like a dinner party and everybody's name is around the table and they're pulling up an extra chair for you. You weren't invited. And so it's like, man, let me just sit on the front stoop. Like, I don't want to interrupt this because most parties have a guest list and they expect the guests to show up and nobody else. But there are a few parties in this world that have no guest list. Anybody can come. And I'm thinking about a high schooler whose parents are away for the weekend. It's like, I don't even know this kid. I don't know people who know this kid, but I know there's a house and it's open and I'm going and it is a universal invitation for everybody to come. That's the kind of party I want to be a part of. I'm talking like New Year's Eve, Times Square, anybody can come. There's no host there who's going to look at you funny if you show up everybody is welcome to that kind of party. 
And that's the kind of party that's being thrown in John chapter 1 where everybody is invited. I get that from verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, in case we missed it, it's already been repeated for us in John's gospel a couple of times. We saw it back in verse 5 when it says that the true light has shone into the world. It didn't come shining into already well-lit rooms. It doesn't appear in a place like this where many know Jesus and the lights are on and we can all see. Where does the light go when it comes? Verse 5, Jesus shines in the dark. Isn't that just like Jesus? He didn't go to the haves, but he goes to the have-nots. And when he brings his light, he goes directly to the darkest places and shines his light in the darkness. That's what Isaac Watts meant when he wrote that great hymn, Joy to the World. Where does Jesus make his blessings flow? Where are they found? Where can you get access to all that Jesus brings? Isaac Watts answers in that hymn, far as the curse is found. Wherever there's darkness, wherever there's brokenness, wherever there is the curse, wherever that is felt, that's where Jesus's blessings flow to us. So if there is really a hidden guest list for this eschatological kingdom party of salvation, everybody's name is on it. Everybody is welcome and invited to know and to follow God. When John uses this language of universal light, light that shines for everybody in the darkness, he's picking up that great Old Testament theme. He found it there in the early scriptures like Isaiah 49, 6. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Who is this for? Everybody to the ends of the earth. Or one of the very last verses in the Old Testament and one of my favorite, Malachi 4, 2. The sun of righteousness shall rise and shine with healing in its wings. Who is this salvation for? It's for everybody that the sun shines on. Imagine waking up first thing in the morning and the sun dawns. Who is that sun for? It's for everybody. Everybody sees it. Everybody feels its warmth. Everybody has access to it. That is who the sun targets in the morning. That's who this universal invitation falls on. All are welcome to it. So this Christmas invitation is for everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter who your parents are. Doesn't matter where where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what other thoughts you've had about God before today. It doesn't matter who drug you here. It doesn't matter where you are in your station of life. This universal call is for every living, breathing person in this room, in this city, in this globe. It is a universal invitation. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. Here it is. It's for you. But... We read in verses 10 and 11, everybody is invited, but not everybody's going to come. Everybody has this gift presented to them. It's wrapped and it is held out before them, but not everybody will reach out and receive it and take it home to enjoy with them. Verses 10 and 11 tell us with great sorrow 
that not all will come to know and embrace Jesus. Now you'll notice in verses 10 and 11, it's really speaking to two different groups. It's not the same group of people here because in verse 10, it's referring to all of humanity. Look at that. He was in the world, the worlds, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So that's everybody. But the second group in verse 11 is Israel. It says specifically, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, what you'll see in these verses is that each group of people rejects Jesus at the easiest point to accept him. Each group rejects him at the very easiest point it would have been to receive him and and accept him because Jesus is offering the cookies of self-revelation on the bottom shelf of humanity's hunger and he says, here I am and you are ready to receive me as such and this is how I offer myself to you. So to the world, he offers himself as their maker and creator, what their heart longs for. And to Israel, his people, he offers himself to them as their Messiah, who they have been searching and reading and praying for. And each group of people, even though he is ready to be received, reject him as such. Now, you've probably heard the famous parable of the religious man who was caught in a flood. And so he runs up to his roof and he prays, God, save me. You've heard this. And a rowboat comes by and says, do you want to lift? And he says, no, God's going to save me. And raft comes by, you want to lift? No, God's going to save me. Helicopter, you want to lift? No, God's going to save me. And the man drowns. And he appears before God and says, God, I prayed, why didn't you save me? And God said, I tried to. I sent you the boat. I sent you the raft. I sent you the helicopter. And you rejected the easiest point at which to receive me. The very thing you needed in that moment was available to you. And and I laid it in front of you in the simplest way to accept and receive. And you said no, and you died. And that's what John is trying to tell us in his prologue. Jesus is making himself available as our maker and as our Messiah and that's the easiest point to receive him and that will be the point with which those who reject him will say no to him. Think about Jesus as our maker. Romans 1 says that God's creative power is plain to us because God has shown it to us. So to reject the fact that Jesus made us, created us, brought us about into existence, Romans 1 says is to suppress the truth. I got to do work to say that's not true. I'm looking for another explanation. Friend, do you know and do you trust that Jesus is revealing himself to our friends and family in ways we can't even see. Like when I'm having a conversation with this person, they look totally disinterested in spiritual things. I've been there before. I've been there with some of you in the past. Like, changing the subject or cutting the conversation short or pretend like you got to go somewhere and it looks like you are utterly disinterested in spiritual things and yet your heart and soul are on fire. A person can't help but know I'm created. 
I've been placed here. I'm accountable to someone or something because what I do can feel right or wrong and I don't know where those feelings come from and I can't even begin to imagine that this life is all there is and when we die, it's nothing. I can't even bring myself to understand that because this truth is pressing upon us. We are hardwired to know that we have a maker and that's how Jesus appears to us. So I am done this Christmas season praying that Jesus will reveal himself to my friends. I've prayed that in the past and I'm done praying that specific prayer because Jesus is saying, I am revealing myself to them and to everyone you love. So my prayer is no longer, hey, would you start like showing up and revealing yourself to people that I love? It's not that anymore. I'm starting to pray for the people I love. Will they get tired of running? Will they get tired of resisting? Will they get tired of suppressing the truth because it is there and it is screaming to them and to reject it day in and day out will take a toll on their heart and their soul and I pray they get tired. Stop running. It's here and it's available. Jesus, your maker and creator. Well, that's how he reveals himself to the world, but he reveals himself in a special way to his people, the Jewish people, who have been raised on the promises to anticipate this. And actually, I think this falls on the Jewish people, but I also think it falls on cultural Christians who grow up in church and aren't born again. What does a first century Jew and a 21st century cultural Christian have in common? They both have access to the Bible and they both have a vague respect for the Bible, right? Neither are born again, but both say, hey, the Bible speaks true things. And to this group of people with their Bibles, well, then Jesus appears as the climax of the story that their heart has longed for. I've read from Genesis forward that an answer to my sin is coming. And I've heard in the law and the prophets that God will make this available to us And I've been looking for the prophet that will come in the line of Moses. And I've been looking for the priest in the order of Melchizedek. And I've been looking for the king who's gonna sit on David's throne when Jesus enters Jerusalem and we say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I've been waiting for this very thing so that when Peter meets Jesus and runs to tell his brother Nathaniel, we read about it later in John chapter one, verse 45. This is what our heart is supposed to scream. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. We found him. We've been reading about him all this time. We've been hoping for him all this time. We have found him. Jesus appears at the easiest point, not just our maker, but our Messiah. And even if we don't have an Old Testament, and even if we didn't know there was a guy named Melchizedek and a a priest that was going to come in his order, every single one of us knows something about sin. I know when I look in my heart, I know something about sin. And if I say I don't, I am a liar because there's turmoil in my conscience and in my soul, no matter who I am or where I came from, that the life I'm living now is not the life I'm supposed to live. And I cry out in my heart when no one's listening with the book of Romans, who will save me from this body of death? 
I do things I don't want to do and then I do them again and again and again and I hurt people around me. And even if I don't have access to the Bible, my heart longs for a Messiah. We're not praying that Jesus will will shine his light into the darkness because Jesus said, I've already done that. I've shown my light into the darkest places. We're praying this season that the darkness becomes unbearable. Would it be unbearable to our friends who live in darkness and resist the light? Would it be unbearable to us who have received the light but still go back to the darkness again and again and again because Jesus' light is shining? Let the darkness be unlivable. He's here. He's pulsing. He's inviting. He appears to us as maker and Messiah. We know him to be the one who made us and the one who can redeem us, the one whom our heart and soul longs for. And so verse 10, to not know him, or verse 11, to not receive him, is to outright reject him or refuse him. He has come, he has made his offer, and I reject him. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in The Great Divorce, about that eternal divide between heaven and hell, and he writes it with terrifying bluntness. This is what he says. There are only two kinds of people in the end, There are those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done, your your will be done, what you always wanted and you always chased. All that are in hell choose it. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek it will find it. Those who knock, it is opened, is here. It's available. It's on the bottom shelf. It's what your heart is hungry for. Reach out and take it, receive it, embrace it, enjoy it. Once we understand that it's a universal offer and once we're met with the horrifying reality that it will be rejected by many, we're ready for the good news that God will give us in verse 12. And I want to shout this from the rooftops this Advent season because it is too precious to believe. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We saw in verse 9 that the word everyone, as in everyone is invited, and now we read in verse 12, all, as in Everyone who is invited, who accepts the invitation, will be received into the kingdom. The kingdom has a 100% acceptance rate for all who pick up the invitation. Isn't that incredible? The kingdom of God ain't Harvard. Harvard has a 5% acceptance rate, which is why y'all are here and why Columbia grows around its university, because they're rejecting everybody That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is more like the University of Phoenix online college. (laughs) Everybody who applies is accepted. You put in that application, I didn't even apply and I think I got accepted to Phoenix. Everybody who receives the invitation, everybody who responds to the invitation, doesn't matter who you are, you are accepted and received. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If 
anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. Anybody can come. I've been rereading the Gospels this Advent season. I just, I want to get my mind and heart around Jesus and who he is and what he's doing. And, and you read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John back to back with each other. And you realize that these words ring true. Anybody can come. And you have in the Gospels just this hodgepodge of people that line up behind Jesus. They're out the door and they're around the corner. They're the unlikeliest of folks and yet they come and they come in droves to Jesus and this salvation. You've got all kinds of people. You got men who are coming, of course. It's a patriarchal society. Men make the decisions. They are there. They're there in force. They're receiving Jesus. And and that's understandable for a school of philosophy. But then such care and attention to women, countercultural to the day, receiving them, bringing them into his inner circle. Men and women are there. And once the adults get there, they agree that it should be an adult thing and not a kid thing. And so the disciples say, keep the kids away. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's for them too. Let the little children come unto me. And men and women and children, they're all there. And then vulnerable people are there. The lame and the blind and the leopard and the bleeding and the unclean and the widow and the poor, those who couldn't even get into the temple, those who were outside the circles, those who, when the crowds gathered, they were on the outskirts and they had to yell to Jesus. Those people, those who are most vulnerable, they are coming too. And then most surprisingly of all, sinners are coming to Jesus. And I mean real sinners. I don't mean edgy, cool sinners. I don't mean like people with tattoos and black and milds and loitering at places, you know, the edgy people you want to hang out with. I mean real, legitimate sinners are coming to Jesus. Read the Gospels. You have sex addicts and drunkards and rich people who take advantage of poor people and men whose God is politics and ex-cons and Pharisees and religious people who don't mind shaming the crowds in public, but then they sneak in the dark to go find Jesus. And you got this short Jewish guy who stole money from his own people. And you have a man who is possessed by a bazillion demons and a woman who was possessed by a bazillion ex-husbands and you got a guy on death row and here they are person after person after person lining up and getting into the kingdom of God because it is for everybody. You can't find something that is true of you, true of your past, true of your family, true of where you've been, that you think would inhibit you to this kingdom that hasn't already been received by Jesus himself, arms wide open, table set, door open to receive the hospitality of this kingdom. We come without rights. We come without righteousness. We, don't, we come without a leg to stand on. And Jesus says, you take this invitation That's for you. And I put it on the bottom shelf for you. And you receive this. And I give you an inalienable right, the right to be a child of God. And I am your father. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
This is too good and too sweet and too all-encompassing that we find ourselves waiting for the footnote and waiting for the exception and waiting for the rule and yet with arms wide open you accept and receive all kinds of people to be members of your kingdom, to receive your forgiveness, to be lavished with your love. I pray that we would hear it, receive it, enjoy it, revel in it this season. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.